From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Germ Warfare is Jeremy now on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It's a hot day. It's a hot day here in Cape Town, the bottom tip of Africa. Temperature right now is 35 degrees Celsius. It was 38 earlier. And look, what is that in Fahrenheit, in American knees? It's the only country I can never quite figure out what, how their systems work. They use, they use all strange metrics for everything. I think it's, what is it? Is it like multiplied? Someone told me the other day, I have to multiply it by two and add 10, I don't know, 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Thanks, Anup, 95. So if that is warm for you, um, if you're in the US, um, oh, actually, you know what I want to do? I'm going to do during the break. I'm going to find out where Fahrenheit is used. Uh, I, uh, all I know is that it's used in the US, because uh, or maybe Japan. I mean, you guys are the only ones that use the imperial system. The rest of the world has made progress. We have jumped a few steps ahead. We use we use numbers and metrics that make sense. <laughs> uh, send me an email, Jim Warfare at uh, t- what's it? Germ Warfare at tntradio.live. That's my email address. If you are watching via the live video feed, it's a great pleasure to have you here. All the links uh, are on TNT's website. Go to my profile page. You'll find an archive of all my previous conversations. The videos and audio versions are available. It's pretty awesome. Okay, on that note, let's jump to my guest. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Probably one of my most favorite people that I've ever interviewed, Andy Kaufman. Thank you for returning to the trenches with me. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Jeremy, and uh, thanks for the kind words. Uh, Well, the words are are genuine. I mean, you are one of the people uh, who dramatically shifted my worldview on a number of things uh, in the last few years and obviously around particular viruses and germs. Well, you know, I'm very grateful uh, that I was open to questioning these things and and looking at the actual evidence because earlier in my life being a, a physician, I was kind of caught up in the narrative, right, the way that it was taught to me. and. Um, It was fortunate that I had embarked on some spiritual self-development work. And part of that was learning, you know, what's known as discernment, right? And discernment is your ability to take in information, but not just take it in at face value, like we're taught to take in information in the compulsory schooling system, right, from an authority figure but actually questioning what is the validity of the source of the information? What about the Mm -hmm. information? itself, right, to um, apply logic, reason, and skepticism to everything. And coming from that, you know, framework, you're much more likely to get closer to learning what the truth is. But there's something very interesting about it. And I'm going to ask you in a moment, just also about your trip to Mexico, because that was sounded pretty cool. Um, but an important part of what you're saying is, it's not just an element of science or biology. Um, it's, it's effectively a paradigm shift in the way that you approach your daily life. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, because, you know, I see myself as an independent man and that I am, you know, in this world around me and there's a lot going on. And uh, be- especially because I have my own family that I have to be aware 
of important things that could affect the health and welfare of my family. So I have this responsibility to try and understand the world around me uh, as best I can. And I don't trust the authority figures, the journalists, the scientists, because they've shown that they're not trustworthy. So I have to, you know, take it upon myself to learn how to understand um, various different uh, aspects that we have to encounter in our daily lives. And of course, coming from the profession of medicine, going on that path with respect to disease and health, you know, makes sense. But I'll tell you that the inaccuracies and misperceptions and false narratives go well beyond uh, simply mm -hmm. viruses and germs causing disease. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's just segue for a moment. Steve Falconer was on my show last week, so I know exactly why you were in Mexico. But for those who don't know, why were you there? Well, there's a annual conference, and it was actually the 10th uh, year that they've had this conference called Anarchapulco. And um, it really comes from a perspective of what um, is more popularly now being called voluntarism. Uh, but it stems, you know, from the philosophy of anarchy, which really means without rulers or without archons. Um, and it's not the kind of, uh, you know, chaos and looting situation. We're not, no one there is promoting that. So it has more and more attracted uh, speakers and attendees that simply want to learn the truth about the world and want to be exposed to or perhaps even acquire some skills of how they may live more independently without you know, reliance on government handouts or, uh, you know, various programs or other people doing everything for them. So there is a spirit of this independence. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the talk that I gave, actually, I, I kind of referred to as anarcho-medicine, which is simply having the knowledge, um, materials and network that you can handle health issues, including medical emergencies, without having to go to the hospital or some kind of a system of professionals that uh, may not be as trustworthy as we once thought. I love that term. And what's say that again? Anarcho-medicine. Yes, anarcho-medicine. What a great term. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that. <laughs> that is such a cool well, term. Well, I think I, I penned the term. <laughs> Um, at the conference because it captures the spirit of what I'm talking about, which is, you know, a decentralized way of addressing health. And yeah. what we see is, you know, that when we trusted the authorities of our health systems, right, which includes the, you know, licensed physicians and surgeons, the hospital administrators, public health officials, pharmaceutical executives, academic researchers, right, all of the, that whole uh, system of you know the the medical industrial complex as uh, dr jennifer daniels has referred to it that that system is really not built upon our health as being the primary goal right it's a commercial system it's built upon profit that <laughs> seems being the primary goal and we see that the poison that people subjected themselves over the last couple of years right was the most profitable drug in the history of the pharmaceutical industry, yeah. but did nothing to improve people's health. So if we are going to focus on only, you know, what is the ways that we can achieve optimal health and vitality? And I'd say it, it's not responding to dire illness um, either. It's, it's 
taking steps before that happens. Yes. Right? To to become healthy and maintain your health. And we're all capable of doing this with a little bit of knowledge and some strength of will to, um, you know, go against the sort of consumer uh, system that promotes uh, ill health and collusion, you know, with this medical industrial complex. So, you know, it's, it's almost common sense, you know, take care of your body and uh, you won't suffer from a major illness. There are some things we can't control, of course, but we can deal with those with very simple uh, natural methods. That's the paradigm shift to which I was earlier referring. Uh, it, once you realize that you've got a headache or you have a sore stomach or something that's not necessarily because of a bug that you picked up, but it could have simply been something that you did in your, in your daily life, it does change the way you, you go forward after that. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, I go hunting every year. And almost within 24 hours after returning from my hunt, because I, I fly to another part of the country and I go into the bush and it's a pretty extreme environmental change. Almost within 24 hours after my return, I get sick. Now, initially I would have thought, oh, well, I'm, there's a bug that I picked up on the airplane. Well, no, I've come to realize it's, it's most likely simply the dramatic change in environment. Yeah, so there are, you know, our, our bodies need to always self-repair, maintain, grow, turn over, right? We have many processes. I think, you know, even in the mainstream, they fully recognize things like autophagy, right? Where our own cells uh, become damaged and die and are replaced with new ones, right? And even say that every so many years, like around seven years, every single cell in our body is replaced anew. And there are often environmental triggers that give our body the signal to essentially do its own cleansing and healing. And if we just think using common sense about what's going on with our bodies, so when we have an episode of diarrhea, for example, right, what's it's doing? That's our body's internal pressure washer system flushing out our colon, right? Because there's something that needs to be removed. Because, mm -hmm. and you know, you can, it's obvious because so much is coming out of the body, the body must be purging something that is harmful. And it's not the illness itself, it's actually the healing, right? And it comes from this fundamental mm -hmm. principle that only our, our bodies, right, and, and perhaps our mind and spirit is the only thing that takes action for healing. When we use a material, whether it be a pharmaceutical, or a natural material, okay, like, like an herb, for example, those things don't actually take action. They're inert objects, right? They're chemicals, etc. When they enter our body, they stimulate our body to have a certain type of reaction. And if it's uh, a pharmaceutical, most likely that reaction is to turn off the healing program, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. But when, it, when it's a proper natural element, then it stimulates optimiza optimization of the body's healing process. And, and you can do a simple experiment um, to observe this and convince yourself the next time you get a little cut on your skin, a paper cut or any, anything like that, just don't do anything to it, right? Maybe rinse it with some water and that's it. Leave it alone. Don't put any ointment. Don't put any bandage. And just watch it over the next couple of days. And you'll see that 
without anything, right, your body just makes it disappear and heal. Yeah. And that's happening in every situation where our health is damaged. However, let me give you an example of what I did to myself two weeks ago. My wife and I went <laughs> camping <laughs> and I took my camping knife and I wasn't concentrating. I was looking uh -oh. away. I was, cut, I was cutting cable ties. I slipped and I stabbed myself into the hand, into the muscle. And it split open like, a, like the Grand Canyon. Now, there's no ways you can just leave that. It's just blood everywhere. It's just it's chaos. My, we, my wife happened to have a bandage in the car. But yes, yes, the thing. I had to, we had to go and find the closest town. I needed stitches because it was just, it was just gaping too much. The, the doctor said, I want to give you a tetanus shot. I said, no, it's fine. I don't need a tetanus shot. All I want is just to close the wound so that it heals. So that it looks a bit better after the fact. And we left there and I felt pretty good because if you had asked me that same question, or if I, if I'd gone through that same thing three years ago, I would have said, no, 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 I'm scared. I'm scared of that metal. You know, what's on that metal? Give me the tetanus shot. My hands healed now, you know, I don't have any stitches and it's perfectly fine. I didn't need that tetanus injection. Well, Jeremy, I think that's uh, an excellent example um, because uh, you're right. You know, I've never even seen a, a case or heard of any other doctor <laughs> who's seen an actual case of tetanus. So it's really <laughs> only theoretical. And I think uh, that the, the only risk is really when you're around cow excrement, that um, mm. there could be this tetanus toxin that uh, could potentially penetrate into your body. And I think that's probably, you know, what the disease is and any theoretical vaccine won't offer protection against that, unfortunately, but it is universally offered in that situation. But so let's talk about your injury there because it, chances are you could have actually taken care of that yourself without the stitches. Although I, I think it's very reasonable to get some stitches and I really respect how you interacted with the health system that you mm. said, this is what I want. I'm paying for this service. This, mm. I don't want anything else. <laughs> right. I, yeah. And, uh, and that's the way it should be because, you know, when you go in there, they should be working for you and, um, you know, you, request a service and they provide that service. You don't, uh, you know, go in there and uh, request the full uh, service, do whatever you want, because, you know, if you did that when you took your car for service, <laughs> you get ripped yeah. off. So, but, um, so in that situation, there's ways that you can address the bleeding, even with a deep injury, like for example, a substance like zeolite or also cayenne pepper, those yes. substances will help uh, stop the bleeding pretty quickly. So you can just dump some of that powder on there and then put some gauze on top of it and, and hold pressure. And, and you should be able to get control unless it's a bleeding artery, which in case yes. it'll be pumping and spurting out right now, a bleeding artery is definitely something you want to go talk to a surgeon about. But, and on the hand, there's a lot going on because we have a lot of fine movements. So, right. You might say, Oh, if it's a hand injury or if it's on the face, I would go to a surgeon to make sure. And also you might want to request a hand surgeon or a plastic surgeon mm -hmm. who really knows that part of the body. But if you can move all your fingers in all directions and, and even if the muscle is cut a little bit, but it's still functional, that will heal without any intervention pretty well. If you 
you know, apply an appropriate dressing and take care of it and monitor it. Um, and I, I actually like using aloe leaves um, as yeah. a dressing. And I, I gave a, a free masterclass that you can still get on my website about exactly how to do deal with bleeding and other common emergencies so that you don't have to rely on the emergency department in all these circumstances. Yeah, it's and it's it is also a little bit of a it's a bit of a learning curve because you don't you don't expect to stab yourself in the hand firstly but secondly <laughs> after that after that I kind of realized that there are a few things that we should be carrying in the car uh, going forward uh, it's, but but what I'm what I'm saying is you don't think about it until it's happened yes no you're right and and the key to being able to handle these situations by yourself is to um, plan in advance, you know, how am I going to deal with this? And of course, you know, you might not expect to stab yourself with your own knife, but you know that when you're handling <laughs> a sharp knife, and I'm sure you spend hours with the grinding, sharpening stones, you know, making sure that thing is uh, extremely <laughs> yes. dangerous. So there's always accidents happen, um, right? And if you play with knives, you're going to get cut eventually. Yes. So. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm sure you're going to be much more careful now, but I know yes. that uh, several of the, you know, adult uh, cooks I've worked with uh, in, in my family and, and such, uh, there have been, you know, plenty of examples yeah. of uh, cutting, <laughs> not food. Uh, <laughs> Andy Kaufman, just hold on a second. I'm just quickly going to a break. I'll be back with you momentarily. My name is Jerome. This is TNT. TNT's Abby Roberts. Climate change is having a disproportionate effect on the physical and mental health of black communities. Black Americans are more likely than white Americans to live in areas and housing that increase their susceptibility to climate-related health issues. Dr. Rachel Levine, now you may have, may have noticed something about Rachel. Uh, Rachel is in fact a bloke. <laughs> that is a bloke uh, in, in a suit talking about um, how black people are adversely affected by climate. What a load of absolute nonsense. Did you see in the background as well that weird geometric shapes? That are kind of all over. There's a weird blob, and uh, she's that's the human. Uh, it's called I think it's Human Health Services. Is hhs.gov. Honestly, it is beyond scary. This stuff. It's like Marxism on steroids. Abby Roberts on TNT. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. Thank you! Thank you! To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNTradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Uh, Andy, just before the break, we were chatting about that very embarrassing accident in which I stabbed myself in the hand. But uh, the idea of going for stitches, I understand that you don't always need to. And we, my wife and I kind of deliberated between whether or not we should go 
the only reason that I went is simply for aesthetics because the the the, the wound sits too far apart and so the the skin can't come together. That's the only reason. There's no there's no uh, um, other reason really to go to the doctor and un unless you're capable of stitching yourself i think <laughs> I, i'm not quite sure how many people are able to stitch themselves <laughs> well uh, you're talking to one uh, here now i don't think i could stitch my own hand with one hand um yeah. but certainly if if i was there i could have stitched up your hand and yeah. surprisingly it's not that hard to learn and uh you know a lot of people who are farmers and stuff they just you know use a regular yeah needle and thread but you can you can buy the same suture <laughs> material uh that the surgeons use uh it's labeled for veterinary use but you don't need any license to buy it like i have yeah. a kit uh for suturing at home but also when you even with a, a wound that's fairly spread apart you'd be surprised that the body can heal with quite a good cosmetic result. Now, you, you know, of really? course, when it's your own hand and you see that, you can make your own decision and it's perfectly reasonable to go mm -hmm. and have a surgeon sew it up for you. And, you know, you just have to follow your example to be prepared that, you know, when you walk into the hospital, you, you have to tell them and be careful about how you fill out the paperwork. Um, that, you know, you only want this and not anything else because they will, a typical consent form in the United States, um, which may be different from South Africa, basically you're giving the hospital the ability to, to make all the decisions for you. In other words, you're waiving your consent for each individual treatment or procedure and saying you're giving them consent to do whatever they deem necessary. And that is a very, mm -hmm. very dangerous proposition um, because they could then, for example, come and test you for, you know, the big C. And if you were positive, they would just put you on the protocol and you already agreed to it. So you want to make sure yeah. you don't sign that and say, you know, I'm going to give consent on a case by case basis for everything. Like if you pass one pill, <laughs> you know, into my yeah. food without telling me uh, it's going to be a lawsuit. And that way they'll, you know, if they're giving you a problem, they'll, they'll just do exactly what you want and they'll get you out of there quicker, you know, as quickly as possible. They don't want you lingering around once you show that you're um, not going along with their program. Yeah, but it's interesting because it can have profound effects. I interviewed a gentleman who, uh, how do I... Okay, what's the easiest way? Okay, so he was diagnosed 20 years ago with, no, but listen to this, with HIV. But the only way he knew that is because he applied for a home loan. And in order to get, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but here in South Africa, if you apply for a home loan, you have to do a blood test. If your blood test comes back saying that you're HIV positive, you lose the chance of getting the home loan because you're now considered a high risk. He... They contacted him and said, sorry, your home loan um, uh, has not been approved. Uh, you need to come in and see us. He goes in and sees them. They say to him, you've got two to four years left to live. He says, I'm sorry? He says, this is, this is why we can't give you the home loan. You're, you're HIV positive. Now, I spoke to him just a few weeks ago. It's now 20 years later. He doesn't take any, any ARVs <laughs> or anything. But, but the point is, is that that changed the course of his life right right then and there you've got two to four years left to live think about that and 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 how dangerous that can be well you know 
I often hear people say that the doctor gave me, you know, so many months or years to live and as if doctors, one, you know, could give and take life and two, as if they can predict the future. So, you know, we should never believe anyone's statement like that. But of course, you know, with this test that has over 60 conditions that gives you a positive result, um, obviously it doesn't detect HIV, which, uh, of course, because it doesn't exist. I mean, this is a travesty. And, and in the United States, yeah. no, they do not. In fact, there's a federal law that basically prevents you from being discriminated against uh, and denied any kind of loan or credit application, including a home loan. So even if you had AIDS and uh, they couldn't deny you a loan based on that, even if you had three months to live, um, you, they would still, uh, if, if they took that into consideration and there's no way mm -hmm. they would really get knowledge of that, uh, then you'd have, uh, they'd be violating federal law. Mm. Yes. Interesting comment. Someone's just going back to our chat about being cut <laughs> when camping. And uh, they say here, super glue. That's interesting. What do you know about that? Wait, say that again, a super what? Super glue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Glue. Well, absolutely. So they even make, uh, they call it liquid bandage. And essentially, it's a form of super glue that can help uh, close or approximate a wound margin. But this isn't something that you want to put you know, to glue your muscle back together. Um, really, it's only for the skin. Skin. Uh, and it, you know, it, it, it is, you know, poisonous chemicals, so it may not be mm. the most optimal way, but it can be useful. I, I don't argue, you know, I don't say that you mm. should never use it. Uh, there's also something called Steri-Strips, which are uh, kind of like uh, Band-Aids, but with a very strong adhesive, and they can also pull... Um, wound margins together if the wound is relatively superficial um, at the skin and and uh, you can even mm -hmm. combine those uh, with each other uh, for reinforcement michelle who's listening from florida uh, says here i think allopathic medicine is good for traumatic injuries i don't think it is at all effective for preventative care the tests that are given uh, seem to only be used to prescribe pharmaceuticals i mean that is pretty much what you argue well, you, you know, she understands the business model, right, which mm. is do a bunch of um, tests that uh, just by statistical chance, you know, by random chance, if you order enough tests, at least one of them is going to have an abnormal value. And at the minimum, that's an excuse to then come back and do more tests. So it's like hooks you in to this perpetual cycle and it's it's going down the path of more tests and prescriptions right and many of the prescriptions are supposed to be to address risk factors that may ultimately <laughs> result in a disease right but uh, many yeah. times they actually end up producing the disease like i've seen many individuals taking blood pressure medicines that uh, clearly had either caused or perpetuated their kidney failure uh, rather than, you know, the high blood pressure itself, which is what they say um, causes that. Mm. So this is a very is good point. Now, for trauma, yeah. uh, I do agree, but the most trauma can actually be handled without any uh, outside assistance. It's really just uh, some, you know, certain unique circumstances like hemothorax, pneumothorax, um, injuries to the neck and throat, 
um, hand injuries, injuries where tendons or muscles are cut and there's loss of function, displaced fractures or open fractures, um, you know, uh, head injury with intracranial bleeding, uh, things mm -hmm. like that, you know, that you may not want to get out your drill and put a hole in the skull yourself, although you certainly could do that, uh, but they have a lot more experience doing it in the hospital. So there are, you know, those kind of trauma reasons, a severed limb or finger, you know, that where having the, the, a surgeon it, and a trauma facility is, is definitely paramount and you would want to be prepared for those. Just make sure that they address your trauma only and not, you know, give you vaccines and other things. Um, but, but also learning how to stop bleeding, how to manage wounds, um, even most uh, fractures can be managed uh, really without any intervention pretty easily. There's uh, medical supply stores where you can get various types of splints and air casts that can help you um, immobilize uh, various injuries. So there is uh, a lot you can do yourself, but that is the true value, I agree, of the, our modern you know, allopathic, uh, really surgery is what we're talking about, um, and some technology to manage very serious trauma. And, you know, these techniques were developed in warfare on the battlefield. Yeah, that's an interesting comment. Um, I didn't use ointment or plasters, etc., for over 50 years, always self-healing, except when I broke ribs uh, by falling on a fence and, and created a, a new, what? New, pneumothorax that was 35 years ago, spent a night in hospital. That was it. There wasn't anything they could do, but it did stop me from chopping wood for a while. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at that comment and one thing that I think can occur from a conversation like this, and it's something that, that, that I do think about also, is that you don't want to taint doctors with the wrong brush, though. You don't want to look at them and go, oh, they're all just evil and they're all just horrible people. No, of course not. Uh, I mean, they're not, <laughs> right? I, uh, um, now, there yeah. are certainly a portion of doctors who are, you know, narcissistic or have psychopathic traits and they're in it for the prestige and the greed and such mm. and they can be mean and rude uh you know to their patients and to other doctors okay but that's true of every profession right there's always some uh, a-holes yeah. uh, among the bunch but by and large you know people go into medicine because they want to help people right they're they're interested in health um you know they doctors tend to take better care of themselves than the general population although they do have some issues with addiction and suicide uh, above the general population because of the constraints i believe of the healthcare system that you're not really able to help people get better um, but that is the intention and you know they create all these constraints for doctors um, related to the business model that they have to crank through many, many patients. If they're surgeons, they have to spend long, long hours, you know, doing tedious uh, procedures in the operating room. And this prevents them from kind of taking a step back and looking at the whole big picture and say, hey, what have I achieved here? You know, what is the outcomes? What are the things I'm doing? Are they helpful? You know, do, am I really getting to spend enough time to understand what's going on with these folks? And there are mm -hmm. some people who even, you know, figure out a way within the system to do better at those things. But uh, so I don't, you know, necessarily blame uh, doctors, but they, they do bear responsibility. You know, it used to be that doctors and nurses ran hospitals 
And that means that they were looking out for health concerns as well as making a living. But now all health facilities are run by, you know, MBAs and business types. And they, you know, tell the doctors and nurses what to do. And they're kind of caught up in this. In fact, I think the way it's headed is that uh, there'll be hardly any doctors uh, or nurses in the future. There'll be AI and, uh, you yeah. know, robots uh, providing that, that type of healthcare. I don't know if I should be asking you this because it's not quite related to what we generally chat about, but something you said earlier that got me thinking, um, mental illness, is it a real thing? Hmm. Well, this is a, you know, you're asking a former psychiatrist and um, <laughs> also a former psychiatrist who was on faculty in the same department as um, the other psychiatrist, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, who famously wrote the book, The Myth of Mental Illness. So I think we, you know, we have to get into a little bit of uh, semantics here. <clears throat> so this other gentleman, he described uh, what we refer to as mental illness as, you know, problems of living. And I think I agree that that applies to most of what we call uh, mental illness that wouldn't be necessarily, you know, uh, clearly an illness like physical illnesses that we manifest, although, you know, it can be uh, in some ways. So things like anxiety, you know, PTSD, depression, uh, difficult personalities or what they call personality disorders. Um, originally, these were called neuroses. I think these are all you know, not really diseases in the sense like that we would label someone as mentally ill. We would say, you know, this is a difficult person or this is a person who really struggles in life. And, you know, that we see that it's based on experience of trauma, abandonment, and also on making bad decisions and having bad consequences mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, choosing the toxic uh, people to be in relationships with or you yourself injecting toxicity into relationships, right? And these are all kind of the problems of living. And the, the way to um, improve these conditions is not through, you know, pharmaceuticals or any kind of uh, treatment approach. It's through learning and development, right? Healing from your uh, traumas and abandonments and uh, dealing with your existential issues and making a concerted effort to improve, yeah, yeah. right? But yeah, there, yeah. on the other hand, there, there are some conditions, right? Like psychosis and mania, um, and those things may, you know, be distinct or have some overlap. And individuals on, in those, you know, states of being uh, are clearly, you know, in a different realm. And whether, you yeah. know, we say this is disease or not, it's, it, it is, you can't communicate like these, these individuals like that cannot function in any way that we can understand. They experience a totally mm. different um, reality. Um, and there's uh, some interesting work on that from um, a gentleman uh, named Jerry Marzinski, um, who was a, a psychologist working in the forensic mental hospitals and in prisons and jails. And uh, he did some work and he he feels that actually psychotic disorders are some kind of possession by some wow. other entity. Well, I mean, that I mean, that is something that I was, was told when I was growing up. Uh, I think my own parents said that, you know, what someone's possessed or whatever. 
Um, but I'm going to go to a break quickly. But before I do that, while you were talking, I realized perhaps the reason why there are 100 million Americans on antidepressants is because there are 100 million Americans on antidepressants. In other words, it's a self-fulfilling, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They they're they're making themselves sick. If that makes sense. Well, you know, they go to the doctor. They say, "Doc, I'm depressed." The doc writes diagnosis depression and prescription antidepressant. Like it's it's that simple. It's just because mm. I don't know how to ask you what's really going on in your life. I only have five to 10 minutes to spend with you. So we can't get into, you know, the problems with your wife or your job or your kids. Yeah. So here, just take yeah. this pill. It'll numb you out and uh, I'll get paid. All right, Andy, don't go anywhere. Be back with you shortly. My name is Jim. This is TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. There's an old Southern proverb here in the United States that the ones doing the accusing are usually the ones doing the doing. The bard put it a little more eloquently, methinks thou doth protest too much. But pretty much any time you see people smearing Donald Trump, for example, you can pretty much bet your bottom dollar that they're the ones that are guilty from everything of which they accuse him. Starting war, being a dictator on day one, all of the lies heaped upon Donald Trump, all the fear-mongering, all the panic they're trying to engender. We're, we have to save democracy. How exactly? By destroying democracy? By being totalitarian? By breaching civil rights? No. I'm sticking with Granny on the front porch. Those doing the accusing are usually those doing the doing. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea. For today's news talk, Meet Norm. He lives with anxiety. But with the help of this latest innovation from Be Normal, he can be normal. Just like everyone else. With the swipe of a finger, you can project happiness, confidence, machismo. Why settle for being real when you can be normal? The Normal Maker. New from Be Normal. This item doesn't really work because there's no such thing as normal. We're all different. What we like, how our brains work. In fact, one in five of us live with mental illness. Don't filter who you are. Start by talking to someone you trust. And remember, there is no normal. TNT. You're with Jeremy now on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Lots of comments in the live chat, Andy. Uh, a, few, a few people saying that uh, Mozinski is very interesting. Um, I've haven't heard of him. So I'm certainly going to go look him up after this conversation. Um, I'm, I'm always fascinated by people trying to understand how well-being and health works. And I think, I think it's fair to say that we have a very impoverished view on what causes illness. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you know, I, I think uh, the Marzinski's um, strategies are very compelling. I had a adolescent uh, boy who was very psychotic and could, couldn't even really carry on any kind of conversation. He could only shake his head yes or no in response to some questions. And uh, after trying several, you know, antipsychotic drugs, which I was compelled to do because I, that was when I was a licensed physician, they, they didn't help at all. But when we tried um, Jerry Marzinski's technique of simply having him recite Psalm 23 when he heard the voices, 
a week later, this kid was talking to me. Really? Just by doing that. And he made further improvement after that when he honed the techniques uh, further and added, added some other stuff. So this was, uh, you know, something I just witnessed at, right in front of my eyes and everybody was shocked, you know, that this would have any effect. But it certainly, you know, shakes up the entire what we're told about, you know, the cause of schizophrenia, which was, you know, said to be some kind of chemical or functional impairment of the brain. Yeah. Right. And and reciting, you know, a religious psalm will not affect that directly, uh, obviously. Um, I don't know how to ask this question, so I'm going to try my best. Um, do, are there are there as many illnesses and diseases as we told there are, or are, are a lot of them, or most of them, just recategorizations of the same thing? Well, we ha we have a couple of uh, different things going on here, and if if you look back historically, right, at different diagnoses, you can see that one thing we have is that there are a lot of conditions that they're given a bunch of different names, but they're really all the same thing, right? Like if you look at the pox family of illnesses, for example, and look at the historical, you know, characteristics. So smallpox, chickenpox, monkeypox, measles, these are all probably just, just one thing which just describes a pattern of expression um, of toxicity on the skin. And we can see, you know, that another example, you know, we, we touched on HIV, but AIDS, right, is, is made up of basically having a number, one of a number of different conditions that are called AIDS-defining illnesses. But all, all of those conditions already existed, right? Lymphoma, tuberculosis, um, uh, some blastomycosis, some fungal pneumonia, things like that. Th those were already known conditions. Uh, Kaposi's cap, sarcoma, for example, was seen, was seen in kidney transplant recipients because of the uh, toxic immunosuppressive drugs that they're giving. So, you know, now calling it gay cancer uh, was just kind of recreating the same thing anew. So that's one thing that happens. And then another thing that happens is that new toxins are introduced, uh, you know, that are made into the environment and they may have distinct patterns of toxicity that might appear as a new symptoms or a new illness. And uh, we can observe that over time. But I would say really, you know, my feeling is, and there's more and more evidence backing this up, is that we only have a couple of causes of disease and that the differences we see in terms of what are the symptoms, what organ is affected and such, have more to do with our individual characteristics and patterns. Like, for example, we may, when we're young, we get, uh, you know, an injury to the knee, and then our body then may have a pathway to dump toxins in the knee for the rest of our life, and we end up later on getting, you know, diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. But if we didn't have that knee injury, it would have expressed somewhere else in the body, right? And I've seen this pattern working with uh, people who had occupational injuries in the workers' compensation system, that that injury then becomes uh, a pattern and the body, you know, just basically takes any insult yeah. out on that 
that injury, right? And it becomes torturous um, to live with. So I think those are the phenomenon that, that we're observing that uh, you know, are being labeled as more and more and newer and newer diseases. I know that you get this kind of question a lot uh, that's come up in the live chat, but uh, you're in the territory, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it at you. But someone's asking, asking for a good friend. Viruses, yes, I agree, no argument. However, why did both my dad and daughter get chickenpox if it's not contagious? Dad is mid forties. Well, there are many, dad, many but, reasons. Yeah, yeah, there are many reasons that could occur, and um, you know we don't fully know the answer, but we do know that not everybody gets it when they're around other people that do, and we know that there are other phenomenon that no one suspects is related to passing around a contagious element, uh, right? Such as uh, menstru menstruation, right? When women uh, become close in their relationship, their menstrual periods often synchronize, right? One moves to the other, uh, but you know, no one suspects this is uh, caused by viruses. So there could, or another thing would be food poisoning that we have a common exposure to something that produces the symptoms, right? We eat, eat the same food that has uh, a staph toxin in it uh, or some other uh, poison, for example. So we could, those things could explain what's happening there. And then the last thing is there could be in environmental cues, right? So Jeremy, you were talking before about when you go to a radically different um, environment, right, with a different climate and such, that that can trigger um, an illness or a cleansing reaction. And th this is what we see predictably every fall or, or uh, you know, um, in the Southern hemisphere, <laughs> um, it, a different time of year, right? When the humidity and the temperature drop and then suddenly, right, everyone starts expressing colds um, and flu and we call it cold and flu season, just like the leaves turn color and fall off the tree when there are certain environmental cues to complete their cleansing cycle, right? Because those leaves have been gummed up with air pollution over the growing season and they're shedding them so they can have new clean leaves with, you know, clean stoma to uh, absorb their food source from the air in the spring. So those are the, you know, possible explanations. And I think we would really need to do more uh, research uh, to know for sure, but they did do some experiments with vesicular disease like um, that's said to be infectious, like chickenpox. I believe it was done with uh, with herpes, uh, simplex virus, uh, you know, allegedly uh, lesions, where they took the fluid and injected it in healthy uh, animals or recipients under the skin, and they didn't transfer the disease, uh, you know, doing it that way. Even though that's not really what would happen in nature, we wouldn't uh, poke each other and squirt our blister fluid <laughs> into each other. Um. We've got a few minutes left and I do always like looking for silver linings or solutions or something that's uplifting. If what we're talking about is more about preventative measures, uh, what, are, what are some good recommendations for people listening now, good daily, daily habits that they can get into? Well, you know, this is, uh, is pretty simple. Um, first of all, you need to start with something that can ground you and provide you with the motivation and inspiration to keep 
acting healthy, right, in the day-to-day life. And I think um, gratitude is an excellent uh, tool for this because I'm sure that we all have a lot of things to be grateful for. And if we have our health, that is a, a major factor, right, because it allows us to be able to do anything in our lives. And we know that when our health is suffering, right, it everything else gets put on hold because that is a, a top priority. So, you know, ritualizing our gratitude um, is very good, but it comes down to things that I think most of us would find obvious, um, that we need to eat clean food, not processed food, not chemicals, right? Whole actual foods like they are in nature. Um, and we need to also drink clean water and uh, you know adequate amounts of it. Uh, we need to reestablish our thirst mechanism because I've noticed that uh, most of us out there are chronically dehydrated. Um, and then, you know, we need to have uh, some movement, right? Which does not have to be intense exercise. It could be walking, even cleaning our houses, but our bodies are designed to move, not just uh, sit there in front of a, a screen all day. And then we need to um, mitigate our exposure to various tox- toxic aspects of life, and I'm talking about you know physical things like indoor air pollution, um, you know uh, plastics that uh, touch our skin or that we use in cooking, uh, poison personal hygiene products, and all of those things. But also, you know, influence of uh, propaganda, uh, you know, commercialism, advertising, uh, you know, popular culture, um, addictions, all of these things uh, we need to address and minimize our, our exposure. Uh, in our life, and and if we combine all those aspects, uh, we can achieve uh, an amazing state of health and vitality. That again reaffirms what I was saying at the beginning of the conversation about a paradigm shift, because those those things right there, I find, make a dramatic difference on 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 the way I go about my day. I, I love the first thing that you said. Um, you know, establish a reason. I I often say on my show. I wake up with a smile on my face. I love my wife. Um, I have a reason to get out of bed. And that already right there is a great starting point, Andy. Yes, it absolutely is. I mean, if we just kind of think about um, the simple things, right, that mm. we have, um, there's there's so, so much to be grateful for. And, you know, when you wake up and say, you know, oh, I'm grateful for my wife, I love my wife, how do you think that's going to affect how you interact with her, right? I mean, you're coming from that yeah. starting position. So even if she's a bit frustrated and irritable with you, right, you're going Which to have patience happened. for that. <laughs> right? Well, you know, even if it never happens, you know, if it happens one time, you'll be, you'll be able, I know, you know, um, the women in my life are never like that. So, but just in case, you know, you, you just have a very different um, way of interacting with folks when you come from that but position yes. and, and with yes. yourself. Yeah. So, I'll, I mean, I was being facetious, but I mean, your point is well taken. If you, if you engage with people on a very nihilistic, negative way, that's going to bring all types of weirdness onto you, which can include sickness. Absolutely. Right. I mean, the, the idea of uh, karma really does, mm. you know, it's natural consequences. And um, I mean, you know, we, we've all experienced 
being, you know, in a physical location or, you know, you can even tell this on on a, a radio interview, right? When someone comes on the Zoom, if they have that energy, right, you mm. can, it can bring everyone down like instantly, right? Even before they yes. open their mouth. Right. Um, and that's we, we you know, we don't want to be that individual right now. If we yeah. are really down and we need help, we can, you know, go say, hey, I need some support. I'm struggling right now. Right. To people we're close with. But we don't want to go and put that off right on people. We want to, you know, deal mm. with it through our, our own mechanisms. Um, time is running out. Let's just quickly promo your stuff. How can I find out anything about you? Well, um, everything is on andrewkaufmanmd.com where uh, you can take my uh, quiz uh, and sign up for my newsletter. And, um, you know, I have actually something pretty exciting going on uh, next month, which is for the first time I'm going to be teaching my turpentine protocol and all about turpentine and the uh, power of pine uh, workshop. So if you sign up, uh, on my website, you'll get actually three free um, live streams about detoxification uh, leading up to that event um, where I'll be teaching some of these uh, principles that we talked about today. So I'd encourage everyone to do that. It's, it's going to be epic. Andy Kaufman, as always, thank you for joining me in the trenches. But I just want to emphasize how important speaking to you over the last few years has been to me personally. Um, I said this right back in the start, your work had a dramatic impact on my life for all the right reasons. You're one of the very few people who've had a, a big impact right across the world um, on my life. Tim Noakes is the other with low carbohydrate sort of eating. Um, so God bless you. It's, it's such a pleasure talking to you. Well, that means a lot, uh, Jeremy. And I, I also like uh, Tim Noakes. And I think that is a uh, uh, definitely <laughs> a healthy way to eat and i'm just glad that uh you know you have this platform and are able to put on guests who are speaking you know very controversial but very truthful uh things that are uh, extremely important just very quickly 30 seconds um why do you think it's controversial well because um it is so strongly opposed to some of the fiercest uh, narratives right we see now after the pandemic the WHO treaty, right, which enjoins all the uh, signatory nations to essentially be able to impose martial law, right, based on this idea of germ theory, uh, you know, and, and viruses causing dangerous diseases. And by telling the truth that this is not what makes you sick, it goes against that major international you know, initiative. So uh, it is very controversial and dangerous. And you see that mainstream media doesn't even uh, give us the airtime to say that we're wrong. They just yeah. ignore this point of view yes. completely. Yes. All right. I've got to, I've got to go because I see time is now officially out. So Andy, I'll chat to you again soon, my friend. Take care. Look forward to it. Yeah, I always look forward to it also. And uh, thank you to the guys in the studio. Before I go, send me an email, jamorfair at tntradio.live. I'll catch you tomorrow on behalf of Joel and Anoop and myself. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.